You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red. Uh, today's episode is with former Forest striker Jason Lee, who you might have seen in the news recently. He's got a new podcast out called The Absolutely Podcast. Uh, the first episode is with David Badil, where he uh, interviews the former Fantasy Football League host uh, about the sketches that we all know about from the 90s around Jason, the pineapple on his head, even blacking up um, and the impact it's had on Jason over the years. They finally meet up and have a very frank conversation about what uh, what happened and what's happened since and why it's taken so long for this conversation to take place. So we're going to talk to Jason about that, um, about his new podcast and about Forest this season. But what I've got is uh, a clip from the podcast just so people get a flavour of it. And then we'll go into the interview with Jason. So here is a flavour of the Absolutely Podcast, the first episode. It is also definitely part and parcel of me coming to understand how wrong it was what happened to you. That's usually the case with people. I know, uh, I know. Once they've experienced that before, it, then they've not really got a full understanding of how it can affect other people. It, it's interesting and kind of weird how, you know, we have experienced something similar, which is being well-known, being on TV and then having an ethnic identity suddenly means that people can use it against you. The man shouting of Jews at me is doing it because he's seen me on telly and he's seen me talking about being Jewish and feels empowered to do that, yeah. right? So I completely understand how, how wrong it was to do that to you, to put you in that position, to make it worse for anyway, for the racists that exist anyway. That's the point. Yeah. I make it worse for you. We know that there's racists at football. I then We then make it worse for you in ways that are incredibly unhelpful and, and wrong. Jason, how's it been for you the last few days? You've been in the news quite a lot. Has it been a bit of a whirlwind? Yeah, um, social media has been very active. Um, I believe our conversation was, was trending as well. So a lot of people have kind of taken up that conversation, which is a good thing because... You know, what we're going to be talking about and David Badil and the fact that I've launched a podcast was to create that conversation and, and enable people to have those uncomfortable discussions. Yeah, I mean, for people who don't know, you've launched a new podcast, absolutely podcast, and the first episode is with David Badil. And like I say, you've made news around, it's been such a long time coming, the, the apology from him for the cover the the sketches of you on fantasy football league in in the 90s tell us a bit about the podcast and why you decided to launch it and what the thinking is behind it yeah i mean everybody well lots of people have got podcasts and this and the other and i think it's part of a strategy really for me to be able to have these conversations uh raise more awareness i mean i work in an edi space equality diversity and inclusion space you know this is stuff uh, this is stuff that i do you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm very passionate about tackling discrimination, um, and it just gives me another another vehicle, really, to have that conversation and reach more people. So, you know, people that have probably started to recently follow me on social media would have wondered where I've been all this time because I'm I'm new to it. it. Having conversations with people, speaking to people directly, is what I'm about, really. But I understand that you have to engage. You know, for on social media and try and reach reach more people in that respect so i'm still kind of coming to terms with having to do that as well the first words i think on the intro for the podcast 
is around having those difficult conversations. I think a lot of us, myself included, probably avoid those difficult conversations in in real life. And especially with David Deal, you you are face to face. We'll come on to it again, but you know it's quite uh, you know full on and upfront. Why did you want to have those difficult conversations? What's the what's the value of that for you? Well, it had to be had. I mean, people have asked me numerous times over the years. I, I lose count, and it's it's such a reoccurring theme that you know, have you seen? Have you spoken to? What happens when you do? You know, David Badil, Frank Skinner. And and the honest answer is I've never had the opportunity to, to speak to them directly. Yeah, I mean, I was invited on the show back in the day, but that was never going to happen. That wasn't something that I was interested in. I wasn't going to validate what they was doing. And people have had these conversations really without me being part of it, whether it be on social media or whatever it may be. So, you know, it was important that I kind of claimed um, some ownership of the situation and invited him into the podcast and, and sat him down and, you know, try and hold him to account and also um, give him the opportunity to explain himself. So that was the reason why it had to be done. You know, I enjoy speaking to people. There's going to be some really good guests going forward on the podcast. Um, but, I, you know, speaking to David Badil was, was one of the main things, really, that I really wanted to unpick. Do you think there is an absolutely podcast without what happened to you? Because I guess... It's had a huge impact on your life, those sketches, even now, you know, 30 years later, as it almost is. It, I don't know if scars are the right word, but would the podcast have happened without that impact of what happened to you? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, as I said, I work in EDI. I'm very outspoken on a lot of subjects, that, you know, around football. I'm always called, whether it be TV or radio, and asked to give a, a response to latest topic so i've always had a voice in that respect it's only been as i said social media which is something that i've consciously kept away from you know to try and really maybe to protect my family and this that and the other because there's a lot of toxic noise that goes on on, on social media that i could do without which i'm sure we could all do without so even that area i spoke out around tackling uh social media platforms and what they can do to protect people you know so i've always been able to have a conversation so maybe 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 a podcast would have happened anyway. It's, uh, you know, an evolution. I think it's something that a lot of people are able to do. And why wouldn't I have done that? But as I said, the David Badil situation, um, having that conversation and be able, being able to take control of it, this gave me an opportunity to do that. Otherwise, it's not a really controlled environment where I'd be, you know, on the forefront. I'd imagine we would have spoken on his terms. So that's not something that I was keen to do. Was your opinion changed of David Badil coming out of it? Because I watched the interview. You don't let him off the hook at all. And I'll put a link in the comments for people to, to check it out. It's well worth watching. It's quite uncomfortable watching at times, which I guess is a good thing. Is you, has your opinion of David changed coming out of it? Well, firstly, it's important that people watch, you know, and it is a plug at the end of the day, but it, I did it for a reason. I didn't do it for people to get bite-sized information from the podcast. They need to watch the interview in its full entirety. There's a conversation being had. There, you know, there's learnings to be had from that conversation. I do stuff, you know, restorative justice with people. I'm working with people all the time who, who maybe do and say and make mistakes. So if people make mistakes, you need to afford them an opportunity to, to try and rectify that, right? So you know, we can continue to keep battering people, um, but you know, if someone says they want to apologise, well, at least afford them the opportunity to do that. So it's important that people see the whole conversation. And they can make their own mind up as to, you know, what they what they want to take from it. But for me, um, it was important to be able to sit there, stare him in the eye, look at his body language, 
and and try and take something from it, you know, for myself and also for him to take away and, and maybe learn from as well. What do you hope? I mean, you touched on it a little bit there, but what do you hope the viewer takes away from it? A lot of people might have a, a, have a little bit more understanding as to what I'm trying to say in terms of because there's always been that um, maybe that era where people may level and say, you know, you're being over oversensitive or it's just a joke or it's just this, it's just that. So you kind of diminish diminishing or minimizing something that somebody's saying myself and so many other people that have been am impacted by it over the years that it doesn't really matter and it's not important well it does matter and it is important and it affected so many people you know take myself out of it the people that have, have contacted me over the years and uh it's flooding through at the moment i'm not going to lie there's so many people saying that you don't realize this affected me when i went to school you know, I've got children, I've had to deal with this. It's a big subject for a lot of people. And the fact that he's apologised to myself, you know, other people still feel like, well, OK, but they're still having to deal with uh, the after effects of, you know, that, that, that period of time. So I'm very sympathetic to, to what people, you know, feel about it. Um, people can see it for themselves, they can judge for themselves. But as I said, it's a learning. Um, I work with people all day, every day. Anybody that's open-minded to have these conversations, I'm happy to work with you. If, if, you, if you're too far gone and you don't really want to engage and you don't want to have these conversations, then, you know, good luck with it. I, I haven't got time to waste with you. But I get the feeling that there's an appetite for people to, especially coming out of the pandemic and, and a George Floyd scenario where people was having these conversations and you know, family and friends were having them at home as well. So... I do believe that there is an appetite for this conversation to be had. True. I assume everyone who's watching this knows what we're talking about in terms of the sketches with the, the laying into your haircut, which I'm sure I know you're proud of from watching it, and also, you know, blacking up basically at the time. But I'm sure everyone knows about that. I mean, are you? I know you, you had the conversation with David for doing it. What's your attitude like to Forest fans who embrace it at the time? Because you know. 12 year old me i laughed at it and now to my you know i regret that now but what about the forest fans at the time who embraced it what are your feelings towards them i think it's listen it's, it's good to hear you say you regret it now so that just shows that there are some learnings from it because if i didn't point it out to people numerous times that i wasn't happy with it and i'm uncomfortable with it and it's been impactful and hurtful to so many people you wouldn't have come to that realization would you you would have still thought Maybe it was it was a joke and there's no harm done. And so it's not about just sitting there and saying, get on with it. I just I just take it and people could do whatever they want. Forest fans were always very supportive of me. And it's it, it gets you know, it gets conflated and it gets really confusing and people don't really understand it. Forest fans would have sang that song in support of me. I understood that. I had this conversation with many, many fans. But you could tell the hostility. If from the away support. So if the away fans are singing it, they're not saying it in support of me. You, you know, we understand that they're saying it in the most negative terms possible. And playing away from home would always be very uncomfortable. So if I scored or if I performed, of course I understand the Forest fans are getting behind me. I just wish the song never existed, to be perfectly honest. There was always going to be stick. So it's not as if I, I don't understand I didn't develop that resilience. Before, during and after, I've always had to deal with some sort of abuse, you know, it is what it is. It's part and parcel uh, of, of trying to be a footballer and also, you know, being somebody of a minority ethnic group that you, you feel that you are under pressure and that you do face certain stereotypes. So it's not me being oversensitive. It, there's, there's, it's, com it's complex, it's deep, 
you know, there's colorism involved. We're talking about black facing. We're talking about uh, the culture and the hair and how impactful and how important it is to the black community. As I said, I was very proud of my dreadlocks. And, you know, it just wasn't a comfortable situation. It wasn't a comfortable period of my life. And, you know, for my family and friends to have to deal with it, that's hurtful because you can't protect them. You, you know, you're trying to worry about yourself and any football or anybody that's, that's dealing with it can tell you that they're trying to deal with their own um, emotions. But going onto the field of playing and worrying about your family and friends and how they're going to react to it is always another concern, something else that, you know, you're having to deal with, which you could really do without. Did you think of shaving your hair at the time, like you have now? Or was that, would that be giving in and letting letting them win, in a sense? I was, I was stubborn. I was stubborn at the time. There was always going to come a time where I would cut my hair and... and you know, during that season, to give people context. I mean, you said you was a 12-year-old at the time, so that makes me feel old, doesn't it? Um, there's, <laughs> there's people watching that wouldn't have the full you know, understanding of it. You know, I I, I started at Charlton Flag, who was in the first division back in the day, which is the Premier League now. I left that club at 19 and went to Lincoln in the fourth division. That was my learning curve, you know, close to 100 games playing in the fourth division at 19. I then got a move back to, the, which is what now is the championship with Southend. I was only there seven months. You know, I came to Nottingham Forest, who just got relegated out of the Premier League into the championship. We won promotion back to the Premier League. I was now playing in the Premier League. There was no pineapple chance or anything. That it, wasn't, it wasn't on the radar then. It was only when I was playing regularly in the Forest first team, you know, leading the line in Europe, scoring goals, that it brought me to the attention of obviously these, this TV show and they felt that you know what here's something we can go in they was mocking footballers I get that but they went to a whole new level with myself so it only happened because of the fact that I was actually doing well in the first place but when people want to talk about it it's usually a negative conversation as if you know you've clowned me forgetting you know the things that I have achieved in my career having played at the highest level, having worked hard to get there, having one promotion, you know, with four different clubs, played across all levels. I look back on my career with a lot of pride. So I have to remind myself sometimes that, come on, I have to have these conversations with people who have not done, done the homework or research, but all they know is, all they can reference is, David Badil, and you had a pineapple on your head. Well, I'm like, no. I had dreadlocks, which I tied up to play a game of football, and as a Premier League player, there's more to it than that. But, you know, listen, people don't take the time, do they, to, to listen to the whole story or get the whole context of a conversation. And that's where we go wrong. People just jump in and there's a pile on because people maybe have seen and heard some sound bites. So that's, that's why, that's why I, I think it's important for people to watch the podcast, listen to the full conversation and then come to their own conclusions. Obviously, we're having this conversation now and society's evolved. At the time, did you wish Forrest or your teammates or anyone had given you a bit more support or reached out to the, the, the show and said, you know, this is out of order? Was there, Could a lot more have been done with hindsight? We just wasn't in that time, in that time mm -hmm. space. People wasn't looking to support anybody, you know, especially in, in a sporting or a football context. Nobody was saying... Um, like speaking out like they are now with social media, you know, players have got a platform and I, I always encourage players to politicise themselves and speak about things that are passionate to them. We didn't have that same platform in those days. You know, we could do maybe an interview after a game. You're talking about a football match and a performance. That would probably be the end of it. No one was really asking you for an opinion on anything else. 
and you didn't really have the platform to do that. So I don't blame anybody. You know, my manager, Frank Clark, at the time was supportive. My teammates were supportive. It was surreal for me to be in that storm. You know, it's like an out-of-body experience. You know what's going on, but you're still trying to perform and, and go and do what you can to support your team and, and go and put in a performance. So it's like anything else. You don't really want to show anybody that you're under duress or you're suffering, especially um, in a sporting context, because you feel that that can be used against you. You know, people might say, well, you know, you're not in a, in a fit state to go and play football. So I needed to play. I wanted to play. The best place for me was on the field to play, playing football and trying to do something positive to say, look, there you go. That's what I'm about. And and also silencing a lot of people who might be giving me abuse. So for me to go and score, whether it's at, you know, Ellen Road or whatever it may be, for me to go and score a goal or a winning goal, I felt like I had um, the last the last say on that day. What are you making of the World Cup on a tangent then? You talk about players having you know, that, that platform now with social media and obviously on the biggest stage. So many issues around Qatar. What's your view of it as a, as a former player and the work you do today? First and foremost, you know, really frustrating to hear that FIFA adopted the, the stance that they was going to find or they was going to impose, you know, bookings or yellow cards on players, i.e. the captains, you know, if they chose to wore the armbands. I think that needs looking at, you know, I think people need to push back and say or question how FIFA could actually do that at this late stage. And also preventing people walking into the stadium with anything, you know, rainbow coloured, whether it be hats or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm hearing stories of people being stopped and being told to remove certain items of clothing. So I think that's going too far. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about being all inclusive. Why are you worried about what somebody wears and where they wear it? So, yeah, players, I think for players... You know, it's a difficult one for them. You know, players have waited four years or longer to go and play in a tournament and then to get caught in the eye of the storm where now they're being spoken to on so many levels by so many people. You know, they want to do the right thing morally. Then they're being told maybe by the manager or... I mean, the FA have tried to support the players. It sounds like they're trying to support the players. They, they said they were prepared to take a fine. But when it comes to, you know... A, a very prominent player, your captain, maybe being on a booking before he's kicked the ball and you realise that you may well need that player further down the line, that's a different conversation, right? So it's not an easy one. I think people are very judgmental to say that, you know, players should just take the the booking. How will fans feel if if you're missing a Harry Kane or somebody else further down the line because he's picked up a couple of bookings and that booking is the one that's carried him over? Mm. You know, you can't have it both ways in that respect. So... Not an easy conversation, but again, that's why we talk about it. You know, I think it's important that if they if they've not got a voice to talk about it, that we talk about it. I think I think you know FIFA bang out of order. That's that's my view on it. I think they they needed to allow players and people to have their voice at the end of the day. You know, especially on on such a big stage. Just looking at the work you do today, then can you tell viewers? Is it are you going into classrooms? Are you going into football clubs? Are you working with people one on one to one? What kind of stuff do you actually do these days? All of the above, really. Um, predominantly, I, I I work with players. Okay, so it's about educating players. You know, EDI workshops, keeping them up to speed, which is great. Don't get me wrong. The work needs to be done with coaches and managers and directors and people that sit on the boards and people that come and watch the games and. It needs to happen across all industries, you know, all organisations need to have these conversations. So I'm prepared to have that with as many people as possible and work 
not only in football but outside of football as well that's that's the work so when i say i'm doing the work and people need to keep doing the work you know we all work for a company you know there should be cpd or you know you can call it whatever you want there should be cultural awareness you know your hr department should be in tune working with the edi department you know if you've got one if you've got an equality officer whoever it may be that works for your company and you need to ensure that annually, at least annually, that people are having training that upskills them because terminology and words and that is evolving and changes all the time. Things that we found acceptable years ago uh, are not acceptable now. So ignorance is not an excuse for people. I think people claim ignorance, don't they, and say, well, I didn't know and no one told me. Well, let's alleviate that by ensuring people have the training regularly and maybe we can prevent some of the problems going forward just be proactive and not reactive are there days when you get home to that room and sit at your computer and you're banging your head against the wall still or do you feel like you're making progress in the right direction these conversations can be extremely taxing mentally so sometimes i'm i'm fatigued you know i'm not gonna lie sometimes i'm not in a good frame of mind you've got to look after your well-being as well some of these conversations where you're trying to fight against um discrimination and try and support people and then you're going up against what can feel like especially like the social media companies you know I, I tried to take on the social media companies i've had meetings with you know big companies and sat in their offices and said like what are you doing to to address um you know the emojis and the toxic you know the toxic language that's just outpouring on your platforms and you, you just feel like well you've got no chance or it's very difficult to be impactful and get them to actually listen to what you're saying it's only when you've got large swathes of people that can support you i think we all suffer with a lot of the things we're talking about you're not on your own you know we've got children we've got young people you've got people that are you know self-harming because of social media whatever it may be so i'm going off on a tangent but i think you get the point i'm making is that there's a lot of work to be done with as many people as possible so i wouldn't box myself in and limit myself just to football or just to players does your football career obviously we've got a lot of personal experience that you're talking about but your career as a player, you, you've managed as well. I remember my first job was covering Nuneaton. I'm sure you were the Boston United manager at the time. Yeah. Does that, Do you take a lot from that in terms of communicating with people? I think it certainly helps. I think sometimes it may well open a door if people realise that, oh, you know, you played football, there's a conversation to be had about football. People support teams, don't they? Lots of people are interested in football. So that's always... Uh, a conversation I talk football all day every day with everybody everyone's got an opinion on football so I don't mind that but if that if that's the the door that opens for what I believe are the more important conversations then you know great so no I use it I use it to my advantage um, and I'm sure people you know can identify with somebody who wants to do that or has also maybe had a successful career as well so no I think I think it goes hand in hand Forest, your club now still? You say you, I know you're there a lot, but do they feel like your club at heart now? Well, you say now. I mean, they've always been. I mean, listen, I'm from I'm from the East End of London. I'm an Arsenal fan, so I, yeah. I, I get involved in these conversations as well. But Forest are my club. You know, people assume that I I'm from Nottingham. People assume that I started at Nottingham, at Nottingham Forest, because I'm synonymous with the club. So I not only played there, and I only played there for three years, so people assume that I was there for a longer period of time, but I lived in Nottingham for 25 years. I no longer live in Not Nottingham, but my kids were brought up in Nottingham. So whilst I was travelling and playing to all these teams you know, up and down the country, our life was in Nottingham. So it's been a good city. It's, it's been good to me. It was only until 
the latter stages of my career when I was 35 that I had the opportunity to then play for Notts County and be back in Nottingham and not have to do the commute to wherever I was going. So, you know, the city's been good to me and I've got an ambassadorial role at the club. I go to as many home games as possible. I do media, I do hospitality. Um, I coach there, you know, it's great to see Worrell and Yates, Tyler Walker, I could name lots. I mean, I worked with these young guys in the academy. It's great to see these these young men going on to to play for the club and, and do really well. I mean, you feel that you've had a small part to play in some of their development. So and they're and they're great human beings as well, really good people. So really good club. I delivered educational programs for them. I worked in the community. I sit on the community trust board. My attachment to the club is there. You know, I'm trying to support them with their EGI strategy across all areas of the of the of the organization. So yeah, I'm I'm very heavily involved with Nottingham Forest and I went down recently to watch the Arsenal game, the Forest Arsenal game. I went down on the bus with the Forest fans. I said Arsenal on my team and they won the game. I didn't want to see Forest get battered. One nil would have been enough for me. You know, Arsenal top of the table and I don't want to see Forest get hurt because I know how impactful or, or you know, how damaging that could have been. But to see Forest bounce back and have such a great week going into the World Cup just shows that, um, you know, the manager and the coaching staff and the players, you know, they're fully committed and they haven't given up. And I, and I think that's given everybody the belief that, that, you know, coming back after the the World Cup situation, that we may well have a chance of, and I say we, you see, we may well have a chance of, of avoiding relegation because the spirit's there. And, you know, we just need to ensure that we've got a, a, a team that's collectively, you know, there's some cohesion and, and you only get that with time and the manager's working on the training ground with those players. So it's really good to see that the, the club had a really good week and hopefully we can build on that when, you know, the World Cup's finished. Was it the Brentford game where there's that video of yourself, Mark Crossley, Nigel Jempson celebrating the goal? I'm right, aren't I? It was the Brentford game. So at the start of a good week and, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I kind of moved from one area of the stadium to basically alongside the, the pit side and, Gemma and, and Crosley was the, Mark Crosley, our teammate, was the uh, VIP guest on that day. So we'd done some work with him, you know, interviewing him in and around different areas. And it, I just had a feeling that we was going to get that that equalising goal as well as you do. So you start filming the end of it. Yeah, it captured it, it captured it well. Gemma's jumping around like a lunatic and big norms there. And it just shows you how much it means to, to a lot of people, current and former players. We still got that that buzz and that energy and we want to see the team do well. So to, you know, to experience that and express your feelings, I think with the fans, I think that's the good thing about football is that there are, there is a collective when things are great, things are incredible, right? When things are not so good, then it could be, you know, that reverse effect, but, yeah, yeah, that was the game, Brentford, and um, I think we we captured it well. What's the energy like around the club compared to when, uh, you know, you came up and you finished third? Does it is that that real buzz around the club, just like there was back then? Do you think? I think it's different. I think the difference being back, you know, when I was playing for Forest, I knew the history behind the club, and Forest was considered to be a big club. Let's let's be honest. They were playing top flight football, going to Wembley regularly. You know, won the European Cup twice. You know, we went on the European Cup run as well. There was a lot of expectancy. And there's always been that expectancy with Forest. I've always, you know, all the years that we've been there, the 23 years that Forest fans have been, you know, obviously having to endure the wilderness and not being in the Premier League. There's always been that expectancy that we're a big club. And it just shows you how football moves on, that there are these big clubs with vast 
fortune. You know, they're bigger than football clubs now. And if Forest can stay in the Premier League, then they'll have a chance to maybe build the brand globally and bigger. Because there's always that that fan base around the world. You go anywhere and people say, oh, Robin Hood, Brian Clough, you know, you play for Forest. And they said so they've got an understanding. There is a really big um, following. But for the younger generation, you know, when I was coaching and, and doing stuff in the communities, when you're speaking to young people and looking at them, you're talking about football, they didn't quite understand how big Forest was. It's like, well, they've never seen Forest play in the Premier League. You've got these young, um, new group of fans who are now coming in and not jumping on the bandwagon, but, you know, young people are going to support the teams that are, are, are doing really well, right? So it wouldn't have been easy to support Nottingham Forest when, you know, they're playing League One and they got, you know, uh, dropped, uh, dropped down a few divisions. But, you know, the history behind the club has, has always been there and hopefully the club can, you know, keep building, stay in the Premier League. I mean, that's the key to it all. If you stay in the Premier League, you can build some, um, you know, some more infrastructure in and around what you're trying to do and be more sustainable and then, the club can keep growing from you know from strength to strength. I know that there's an extremely um, ambitious owner and the players and the manager and everybody in the club. Everyone wants to do well. I want to get your take before I let you go on one of the players in Tyro Awanyi, who's probably the only physical presence up front. I, I know I appreciate he probably plays the game slightly differently to you did, to the way you did, but he's kind of the one the ball's meant to stick to. He's making that step up from the Bundesliga without trying to be disrespectful to them. What have you? made of him so far and what do you hope there is to come from him yeah i've had this conversation and i like i like Surridge. i'm not gonna lie you, you say he's the only one i think Surridge offers that that physicality as well they're both similar size you know i've stood next to the pair of them yeah we're, we're similar similar in stature we're different you know i was a number nine who was used to playing with his back to goal and would work to bring other players into the game when i was younger like probably their age you've got more mobility and you do run the channels and, you you know, you're moving around. Listen, all I can say is if I was working with either of those, I would love the, the opportunity, but listen, I'm not coaching. I'm not going out on the cold anymore. That's not for me, but I've done work with strikers before. You want the ball to stick. So whether it's Taywo or, 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 or Sam, you want, you want them to obviously look after the ball, look after the ball, give other players an opportunity to, to build because especially in the Premier League, with the counter attack and the way teams break very, very quickly. If you don't, if the ball doesn't stick for, you know, a little period of time, you just can't get out. Forest are good on the break. Championship level, you know, we showed how, how good we was. And it's just that final third, that cutting edge, being able to get up there, score a goal quickly, you know, will, will give us a chance of, you know, listen, scoring goals is the hardest thing in football. And obviously keeping a clean sheet at the other end. But if you're not, keeping the ball for a long period of time, then the ball will come back and you will fold under pressure. So I like both of them. You know, Taylor's got three goals. I've liked what, what Surridge has done when he's when he's been impactful, when he's come off the bench, you know, especially this last week, he showed what it was all about. I can remember when I was on the bench and I know Steve Cooper talked about them being finishers, you know, impact players. So his terminology in a way he looks at it because sometimes being a substitute is not easy. You know, you don't want to be on the bench. But can you make sure you're impactful when you come on? You need to make a change. You need to add something to the team. So if their attitude's right and they're and the young players that continue to work, I think there's the, the making of two very good young strikers there. They just need to work on, as I said, if they're going to be the focal point of Forest attack, ensuring that they look after the ball and that we're able to get other players to go and join them. Do you think I've been guilty there of that kind of 
championship, I don't know, prejudice is the right word, bias, but I've kind of overlooked Sam because Tyro is the one who's coming into the club record signing with the bigger expectations. Is Sam a bit, I don't know, is underrated the right word maybe, perhaps? See, this is what happens. I, I can definitely understand and sympathise with, with Sam Sowell. He's extremely frustrated. I've seen him, I've spoken to him. He wants to play his part. When you bring in players invariably the focus is on the new players, especially if they're record signings and they cost a lot of money. You know, back in my day, you know, players were coming in left, right and centre, whether it be um, Andre Salenzi, Kevin Campbell, you know, these are big, big money signings. I wasn't a big money signing. So instantly you feel that, wow, I'm dropping down the pecking order here without really having an opportunity to go and do what, do what you want to do. So, but Sam has to keep his head and ensure that, you know, forget all the fact that, you know, Taywo's, Cost more money and he's a record signing. When he's given an opportunity, just go and grasp it. Go and grasp it. Go and just pr- keep proving to people he's good enough. He's an excellent finisher. Excellent, excellent finisher. That 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 young man can finish. He's got great attributes. He's got a good attitude. So they're both going to be needed. If one's not doing the work, I mean, sometimes you might want to play the two of them up there as well because. They're a handful, you know. They can be a handful and occupy the centre halves. What you don't want is defenders to have an easy day, you know, and have a fag on and just have a stroll on and not be under duress and under pressure. You need to ensure that defenders are feel a little bit nervous and under pressure. And I think they can do that. So, no, I think they're both good players. And you know, you've mentioned the fact that you know you've seen him in the championship, um, and maybe you feel that he's not Premier League, but they've all got something to prove at Premier League. Even the big the bigger name players that have come in. They're, they're not established Premier League players. They need to go and show. Other than Jesse Lingard, who's played Premier League football at the highest level, the rest of the squad, the rest of the players, they're all unproven. You obviously retain a great passion for the game, listening to you now. Are you, are you done with coaching and management? Or do you think maybe one day you might get back in? Yeah, I'm done. I've been tempted. I've been asked so many times over the years. It's been 10 years or so since I really was out there regularly coaching. I'm still in and around the games. I go to a game, you know, most weekends or during the week. That's enough for me. I mean, I think you have to give people an opportunity. It's not easy to be a coach or a manager. You know, you're out of work more than you're in work. That can be the case. Um, And I was fortunate enough. Well, not fortunate, but I ensured that I was thinking about other things. I always speak to to coaches and managers, people that want to go into into the game and say, look, you need to have outside interests and passions just in case it doesn't work out and you need to ensure that when you're out of work, you've still got something you can do with yourself. So if you put that in place, then you give yourself options. There's nothing worse than being a coach or a manager and being out of work for a long period of time and, and stressing and hoping that you get get that call. There's just not enough jobs, mm. especially for a manager. There's just not enough opportunities. So no, I'm, as much as I enjoyed it, it was really good. I really enjoyed being player manager and a manager at Boston. Um, you just realise that, you know what, there's other things I could do in my life. So, yeah, you move on. Tell us a bit how people can find the podcast. I assume it's on every platform. And also, um, when's it coming out and what what kind of people have you got coming up on it? Well, you know the podcast is out, right? So when you Yeah, the David Deal one. Yeah, yeah, the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can find that on, well, anywhere that you watch your pods, you know, whether it be Spotify, uh, Acast, it can be YouTube. I'm probably missing one or two, but I don't know where you watch it. Apple, yeah. You know, you can watch it anywhere, to be fair. We've done well in ensuring that it's across all platforms. I don't know if I want to give away what's coming next. I mean, they're, they're a bit teaser, so 
Is it a weekly? Is it weekly or is it fortnight? Is it monthly? What's the what's no, the plan? No, no, no. We, we'll wait and see. We'll we'll drip feed it. We'll see how far this one goes first before we. Obviously, we're going into the Christmas period. We'll look at you know some more guests and start putting a few. You know, we've done a few to be fair, and and now come out if and ready. It's timing's everything, right? So I'm working with people that understand it better than me. You know when to release stuff. So I don't want to give too much away, but. Yeah, anybody can go and watch it. You can find it. I've got a web page as well. Obviously, I'm on the socials. You know, if you want to keep in touch, you want to see what I'm up to, I can be found. It's, I mean, like I say, the David Baddiel one's quite full on. Do you actually enjoy the, the whole process of, of doing these podcasts? Do you? I, doing this? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yours is so like football most of the time. Yeah, why not? Listen, it, it's, it's talking. It's not, listen, it's not difficult is it we enjoy speaking obviously we enjoy conversing with people and you get to speak to some really interesting people you know it's not just about me there's going to be some interesting people that come on your pod and on my pod and you want to hear from them right it's about giving them an opportunity to speak and share and deep diving into some of the stuff that you might not have known about them before so you know you've done well with the questions today speaking to myself you know maybe there's something i can learn when i'm when I'm doing my own as well. Listen, it's just about having having a way, isn't it? And and giving somebody, making them feel comfortable, which you've done, and giving them the opportunity to speak. And it's it's about the difficult conversation. So it's not always going to be, you know, all fun and games. I mean, obviously the first one was quite intense in that respect. And there will be humour and there is humour. And But, you know, what can we achieve? What can we... You, you don't have long, really, with people, do you, to try and get to the bottom mm. of what they're about. So... You know, we, we'll always tackle, as you did today, asking about Qatar. You always speak about what's relevant and what, you know, what people really want to hear about. I think that's important as well. So, no, we're not going to avoid anything. I just hope people enjoy it. You know, I enjoy doing the podcast, speaking to people, going on their podcasts, having these conversations. So, and clearly podcasts are something that people uh, have got an appetite for because there are so many. You know, it's obviously is the one. It's easy listening when people are driving or whatever it may be or just going before bed um, to just put on a podcast. And, yeah, so they, they obviously they obviously work. Uh, last question, a very difficult one, putting you on the spot. Where are Forest going to finish in the Premier League come the end of the season? We're going to finish fourth or fifth bottom. How about that? I'll take it. <laughs> if the numbers are 17 or above, I think I'll take that, definitely. No, I, like, I agree. I think... I think I think we've got that. We we can do that. You know, the just beat the teams that you think you can beat in and around you. Everything else is a bonus. The the home obviously the home form needs to improve in terms of results. It needs to be a fortress, and the fans need to just keep doing what they've been doing, which is the atmosphere at the home and away games has been incredible. When obviously all the goals go in against City and Arsenal, it's not easy. I understand that and ship far too many goals, but. The atmosphere, the fans have been have been brilliant, and they they need to enjoy it. They you know everyone you've earned it, so you know don't get too disheartened, too fed up when when the team's losing games. You know you, you you've worked hard to get there, so just make the most of it. Right, uh, we shall leave it there. Thanks to everyone who's watched along. Hope you enjoyed it. So we've had uh, Martin O'Neill, Matt Ford, Jason, and I've recorded two more. Uh, we've really enjoyed them, and I've got one more lined up before we get back to the action of the Premier League. So hopefully everyone's enjoying as we go along. Jason, thanks so much, and good luck with the podcast. As you say, it is fun, and uh, I'm sure people will enjoy it as well. But thanks so much for your time today. No, you're welcome, Matt. 
listen, have a good day and uh, enjoy the football. Yes, yes, same to everyone. Enjoy the football, enjoy your week and uh, we shall see you soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.